0: this time, uh, I think the Jones family's in there in the back, uh, Nate and Bethany, they're going to be taking our kiddos who are third grade and under out uh, for their lesson as we open the scriptures this morning for our sermon. So I encourage you as they make their way out, turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9, or, I'm sorry, verses 3 to 8. Melinda got me thinking about verse 9 whenever she was reading earlier. Uh, Verses 3 to 8 of Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, We're glad to see your faces in the room with us. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you tuned in from wherever you are today. We're continuing in our series that we launched last week in the book of Colossians. Uh, We'll read verses 3 to 8 together this morning. If you don't have a copy in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along there as we read it today. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes these words... as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is God's word. You know, I can remember whenever my kids were younger, right now they have their own uh, debit cards and bank accounts. We're helping them learn how to manage money back. I remember whenever they were younger, uh, they didn't have their own money, okay? And every time it would roll around to like a birthday or a mother's day or father's day or come to Christmas, and the kids would want to get something for mommy or a daddy, which they don't call us that anymore. It's mom and dad now. Uh, But... Whenever they would want to buy a gift for us, right? oftentimes, like at Father's Day, my wife would take them to the store and they would pick out a card and they would pick out maybe a little small gift for us. Or at Christmas, she would take them shopping and they would buy something very small and they would put it under the tree. It would be all wrapped from, uh, from Caleb and Sarah to me, or from Caleb and Sarah to Karen. Right? So we would help do that for them. Okay? So we would take them, they would, they would pick something out, but we would purchase it. And so oftentimes, whenever it came time to open those gifts on Father's Day or on Mother's Day or on birthdays or at Christmas, I'd open the gift and it was from the kids, right? Or it was coming through the kids. So I'd open it up and I would see whatever it is that they had picked out um, Very uh, with, a, with, a, with a very warm grin on my face. Look at them and say, oh, this is awesome. Some of you have been there before too, right? And they pick out some little trinket that you like... Would never purchase for yourself. Uh, But this is awesome. It's amazing. Okay. And so I would turn to them and I would say thank you. But then I would look at my wife and I would say thank you. Now the question is, why would I look at my wife and say thank you? Well, here's the reality. In those moments, whenever I was receiving a gift uh, that my kids had picked out for me, that gift was coming through my kids, but ultimately it was coming from the benevolent, generous heart of my wife because I knew she had actually purchased the gift. She was the source of the gift. It was not the kids, but it was her. And so as we read Colossians chapter 1, when we see The Apostle Paul giving thanks, which he does in many of his letters, whenever he starts off to the church, he gives thanks for things that he sees or has heard in the context of that local church. He's not giving thanks to the Colossian Christians. He's giving thanks to the Lord because of what he's heard about the Christians in Colossae. Because he knows the ultimate source of that gift is God himself. That gift may be coming through the church at Colossae, but it's coming from the Lord. Does that make sense? And so when he's giving thanks, he's giving thanks to God, not to the Colossian Christians. He gives, gives thanks for the fruit that's being born in the lives of these believers there in Colossae. Because although it's coming through them, it's coming from God. And I find it very interesting that in a context, as we said last week, an ancient context that's swirling with the winds of syncretism. Remember what we said syncretism was? It's like a theological, philosophical suicide, right? Where you're going to every soft drink dispenser, getting a little bit of everything, mixing it up in one cup. That's what syncretism is. And in that context... The Apostle Paul is giving thanks to God for the fruit being born in the lives of those saints there at Colossae. And he's saying that, I think by doing so, he's saying that one way that you know that you've believed the true gospel as opposed to some mixture of all these other different philosophies or theologies, one way you know that you believe the true gospel is because good news bears good fruit. Good news bears good fruit, church. I think that's the essence of what he's saying in the text today, is he's giving thanks to God for what he sees or hears in the lives of the church at Colossae. Good news bears good fruit. Now, in this passage, in verses 3 to 8, right? it's, it's like quite a few other passages in Paul's letters, uh, which is a nightmare for an English teacher. Okay? Uh, Because in English teachers, right, one of the things they will always correct you on is run on sentences. The Apostle Paul writes in a whole lot of run on sentences. Okay? He just continues a thought sometimes for a whole paragraph before he ever adds any punctuation. And so here in the text, we've got a couple of run-on sentences. In verses three to five, we have a run-on sentence. In verses five, latter part of verse five through seven, is another run-on sentence. So although this passage would fail an English composition exam, right, it passes with flying colors when it comes to the expression of practical theology. And so in this particular passage, these two run-on sentences, right, whenever you see a run-on sentence in the Bible or really anywhere, oftentimes you want to look for those things that are helping to make logical connections between ideas, between thoughts, between phrases. And in the English language, we call those words prepositions. They're making logical connections between blocks of thought or between ideas, as they're strung together in these run-on sentences in the text. And so in the first run-on sentence in the passage, in verse 3 through the first part of verse 5, when you put the pieces together and connect those logical connections, those prepositions, what you have, right? Because you have the preposition when, you have the preposition since, and you have the preposition because in that first run-on sentence. But when you put it together, here's what Paul's saying. He says, when I pray for the church at Colossae, I have been giving thanks to God ever since the day I heard about your faith in Jesus and and heard about your love for the saints, which is sourced in the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. So I've been giving thanks for the fruit that I've been seeing that's born in your lives on account of the hope that you now have that is laid up for you, stored up like a treasure in heaven. That's the first run-on sentence. In the second run-on sentence, you have the preposition since and as and just as, right, making these connections. And in this second run-on sentence... Right, The apostle Paul is saying this, when you put all those pieces together, he says, of this, in the beginning of the second part of verse 5, and that's pointing back to the hope that you have laid up for yourselves in heaven. Of this hope that's laid up in heaven, he says, so this hope that's laid up in heaven that they have heard about in the true gospel brought to them by Epaphras who is a faithful minister of Christ. And it's this gospel that they've heard about that contains this hope that's laid up for them in heaven that's bearing fruit and it's increasing across the globe and in their midst among them as well from the first moment that they learned about the true gospel from this faithful brother, Epaphras. Paul says the gospel has been bearing fruit, not only in your context, in your church, but across the globe. And so this gospel that contains the hope that's bearing the fruit of faith and love, it's spreading like wildfire across the known world of Paul's day and also spreading like wildfire amongst those in Colossae. So as I think about what Paul's saying here is he gives thanks. That's what he's giving thanks for, but he's giving thanks to God. All his thanksgiving, all his gratitude is moving upward, not outward. Because God is the source of all of this. You know what, church? The same is true in our context today. Right? The, the only person to whom we have to give thanks for the fruit that we see born in our lives and the lives of others and the lives of the global church and the life of the local church is God himself. He is the one at work. He is the one involved. He is the one active. He is the one moving the ball down the field. We see it globally. In fact, this morning as I was, uh, one, one, mem- one of our members walked in, he told me a story that he'd heard this last week about, somewhat a, about a Buddhist in Thailand who had come into contact with a believer who was now doing a Bible study with them. And the first Bible study that they did was talking about about God as the creator, right? In fact, they were using the latitude curriculum, book one, okay? And they, they were talking about God as creator, and this Buddhist encountered for the first time an understanding of the fact that the world was made with purpose and with design and with reason. That they didn't just exist by chance or happenstance, right? That's in the Buddhist worldview that humanity, that, that, that human beings just are, For no purpose. It was the first time they had encountered this truth. That there is a creator who's formed everything in creation for a purpose with a design for a reason. And it lights begin to go off in their mind as they begin to consider this truth. Right? So the gospel is advancing. It's increasing. It's bearing fruit globally. It's also bearing fruit locally. We see it in other churches around us. We see it in the lives of our friends and our neighbors. We see it in our own context in our own church that God is at work and for that to be giving in gratitude. So Paul says good fruit comes from good news. It comes from good news. But how? How is that does that work? Let me see if I can illustrate it for you this way. News changes things, doesn't it? is not news, whenever you get news in your life, it changes things for you. And it can change things for the worse or it can change things for the better, right? Depending upon the type of news that you receive. So for instance, if you go to the doctor and they do all kinds of scans and they come back and they say, hey, we found something, right? That's news that may change your life for the worse, make things more difficult, bring about a season of suffering. But if you go to the doctor, they do a scan. They say, hey, you've got a clean bill of health, right? That's news that brings relief, doesn't it? Yes, it does, right? Or, right, we just came through tax season. Ah, right? And so maybe, right, you get, the, get a letter in the mail with some news in it that says the IRS has selected you to do, conduct a financial audit, right? That's news, But it makes things more challenging in your life. Or you could go through tax season and you could get the news that you have a $10,000 tax refund coming your way. Okay, And that's news that may change your life for the better. News always changes things, doesn't it? And the same is true... For this good news, in fact, even much more so, because there's power in the good news of the gospel to bring about good fruit in our lives, to change us, to transform us. Right? In the text, when we read the hope laid up for you in heaven, in verse And the verses, right, that produces, right, in fact, Paul, the way he connects these two things with that preposition, because he says, I've been giving thanks for your faith in Jesus Christ, and I've been giving thanks for your love for all the saints, because, because what? Pointing back to those things, those two fruits of faith and love are sourced in the hope that they have laid up for them in heaven, which is contained in the gospel, the good news that was proclaimed to them so that good news of this hope now in heaven is bringing about in their lives on earth faith and love that's how this whole text is working together right so the so the question then is this what is this hope that is laid up for them in heaven and here's what i believe it is based on the context of the book of colossians it is The full, unmediated, unfiltered, you might say jam-packed, right? Chalked full, bursting at the seams, maximum, rich, deep, comprehensive, mind-blowing, heart-exploding experience of God in Christ. That's the hope they have laid up for them in heaven. It's not some general hope of, you know, pie in the sky, by and by type of hope, right? It's not just some general, well, all my suffering is going to end and everything is going to get better kind of hope. It is the hope of being in the unmediated, unfiltered, full, maximum, exploding presence of God in Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because right now we have an appetizer of that, okay? Right now, those who are in Christ, we have an appetizer, a taste of that experience, which Paul is going to describe down in chapter 1, verse 27 as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right, so Christ is in us now. We're experiencing Him now. We have relationship with Him now. We're walking with Him now. But that is a foretaste, an appetizer of this eternal five-course meal that will be set before us for all of eternity in heaven to dine and feast and enjoy God forever. That is why I say this hope that is laid up in heaven Is this full experience of Christ? Now, it is this hope, this heavenly mindedness, right? Thinking about what comes in the future, this expectation that is powerful to produce transformation in the present. This news that we have this hope in heaven is bringing about change on earth. And here's the reason, right? Because. It changes three things. What we're living from. It changes what we're living from. So no longer are we living from all these insecurities. No longer are we living with this understanding of God loves me, he loves me not, right? Picking the petals on the flower, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. We don't have to live with that kind of uncertainty or insecurity anymore, but we can live from a full acceptance with God and fellowship with him by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So we're living from that, but it also changes what we're living with. We're living now with, as Christians, hearts that are filled with gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done, right? We're not living with a glass that is half empty. We're living with a glass that is half full, expecting more fullness to be poured in in eternity, and so it makes our hearts burst with gratitude and thanksgiving. And then third, it changes what we're living for. See, we're no longer living for the things of earth. We're no longer living for glory and honor and praise for ourselves. But we're now living with hearts that are desiring to see glory, honor, and praise lifted to God. Not not terminate on us. See, this news of this hope changes things. What we're living from, what we're living with, and what we're living for. So Sam Storms in his book, The Hope of Glory... He writes this, and I can't say it any better, so I'm going to read it to you. He says, Do you find faith resident in your heart? Are you, this moment, believing in Jesus and trusting Him for life and breath and all things? Do you feel a deep, abiding affection for the people of God? Do you delight in showing compassion and generosity toward those in the body of Christ? If so, do not reach around and pat yourself on the back. Rather, extend your hand toward heaven and say thanks to the Lord. Because good news bears good fruit. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I don't always love people the way that I should. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it difficult to trust God in certain scenarios, certain situations, or certain circumstances. And if that's true for you, then according to this text, one possible explanation for you and for me is that our hope tank is low or running on fumes. See, according to what Paul says in the passage, it is the hope that we have in the gospel that brings about faith, that brings about love. And so if we're lacking trust in God or compassion for others, then the answer is not, I'm going to white knuckle it by my will and just grind my fingers to the bone to try harder. But then the, the, the answer is, fill up your hope tank. Now, let me say this before I go any further. If you're not a Christian this morning, then your hope tank is empty. It's completely empty. Now, what I'm not saying is that you may have, what I'm not saying is you don't have any hopes for this life. Because we all probably have certain hopes for this life. But if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you, you have no hope for the life that is to come. Right? All that you can expect in the life that is to come is despair. The opposite of hope. Because the only way to have hope beyond this life is through repenting of sin and placing your faith and confidence in Jesus to save you. See, only then will you have hope beyond this life. And if we refuse to do so, if you refuse to do so, then you may have hopes here and you may achieve some of those hopes, but all that awaits you beyond this life is despair and judgment. And so this morning, if that's you, I would implore you, place your faith in Jesus Trust Him this morning. Let go of all the other things that you're trusting in on this earth and place your confidence in Him and Him alone. If that's you this morning and you'd like to do that, I'll be at the back of the room this morning. I'd love to connect with you, pray with you, and talk to you about what that means. But for those of us who are Christians this morning in the room, let's look at how we can grow in the faith and love that is produced by the hope found in the true gospel. And I got two things for us as we think about how to grow have that increasing of fruit that's being born in our lives. And the first one is this, is that if we're going to grow, we must learn to fuel faith with hope. Fuel faith with hope. So the question is that how does hope for an eternal home in heaven, in the presence of Jesus, fuel life-transforming trust in God in this life. Now, a couple of things. First, consider the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Many of us have read that passage. Many of us could recount those stories about how the author of Hebrews goes through character after character after character in the Old Testament and points to their faith Right, evidence of things unseen that they were placing their confidence in. But one in particular I want to point out to you this morning is in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, when the author writes about Abraham. And this is what he says about Abraham. He says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then he says in verse 10, another little preposition there, right? For. When you see that word for... Oftentimes, it's indicating a reason. Why did Abraham go out? Why did Abraham live in these tents? Why did Abraham take his family and go as a foreigner in a strange land to this land of promise that God had promised to him, not knowing where he was going? Why did he go? Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's why he went, because he was looking forward in faith. His hope was on this city that had foundations. In other words, it was a city that was secure. It was a city that was unshakable. It was a city that was imperishable. It was a city that would not rot or be defiled. And so he set his faith on what was coming in the future, and that changed his direction in the present. Abram was willing to let go of security in this life because he was looking for security. Looking to, I'm I'm sorry, he was looking to the future for security that was rooted in a different city. This is similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 when he writes that our Christians, our citizenship is in the United States of America. (laughs) Our primary citizenship as Christians is in heaven. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on what? What? earthly things, right? So those who walk as enemies of God, their minds are set on things that are here on earth. He says in verse 20 with a contrast, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul says... Our citizenship is in heaven and we're waiting for Jesus to return. That's our hope. that He's going to come back, rescue and restore and make all things new and we will live forever with him. So Paul says we don't set our minds on earthly things, but we set our minds on things that are in heaven. And we, as we set our minds on things that are in the future, it changes our lives in the present. That's how faith or hope fuels faith to trust in God in the present because we believe His promise for the future. Does that make sense? So, what kind of faith then does hope fuel? Let me tell you, it fuels an active trust, not only in God to save us through His Son, but an active faith for God to sanctify us through His Spirit. That He would save us by the work of His Son, sanctify us by the work of His Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting time. Away. Mm. The older that I get, the more I realize just how true those words are. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They come and they go. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. You hear what Paul says? He says the way... The way that we experience sanctification in our lives, again, is not by saying, like like taking a hammer and beating our hand every time we do something with it that is sinful, right? Just by our wills, we're going to buckle up and get her done. But he says the way we experience transformation is as we behold, as we see, is we seek Christ, right? That's what he says. We don't lose heart. Outer self is wasting away. The inner self is being renewed day by day as we look to things that, not the things that are seen, not the things that are on earth, not the things that we can touch and, and hold and grab here, but the things that are unseen. Right? As we behold day by day, we're renewed into the image of the one that we're beholding. Sam Storms again said it this way. He says, if we fix the gaze of our hearts on the glorious hope of the age to come, God progressively renews our inner being. Notwithstanding the simultaneous decay of our outer frame. Inner renewal doesn't happen automatically or mechanically, but transformation happens only as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Nothing exerts such purifying power on the heart as does a focus on heaven. Meditation on the unseen glories of heaven energizes the heart to say no to fleshly desires. So the more you, what he's saying is this, the more you fill your mind with thoughts and the things of heaven, the more power you have then to say no to the things of earth fleshly desires so it fuels an act of faith for God to sanctify us but it also fuels a personal yet public faith right our faith is personal but it's not private it is public and the way we know this is because what Paul says in the text Right? He's giving thanks for the faith of the Colossians. And the only reason he can give faith for the, thanks of the Colo- for the faith of the Colossians is because he has heard about their faith. In other words, somebody has seen the demonstrations of their faith and then reported it back to Paul. So Paul has heard about public demonstrations of the faith of the believers at Colossae. So he's giving thanks to God for those things. It's like what James says when he writes about faith and works in James chapter 2. He says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead, he says, Now he's not talking about right us being justified, accepted in the eyes of God, because we have done enough good things to pad our resume and turn it into God and God goes, You're hired but rather the works that he's talking about are in unison with faith. They are validating, justifying faith, showing your faith to be real, showing your faith to be true. True faith will always contain works that are flowing downhill from them. So they're It's a personal faith, but not a private one. It's a very public one. It's demonstrations of our faith in the school that we attend. It's demonstrations of our faith in the neighborhoods in which we live. It's demonstrations of our faith in the context of the friend groups that we run in. It's demonstrations of our faith in the workplaces where we carry out our vocation. It's demonstrations of faith in all of these contexts. That's the kind of faith hope produces and fuels. So fuel faith with hope. I'm reading a lot of scripture to you this morning. And a part of that is because what I want you to do is to fill your tank with some of those passages that you can go back to and recall time and time again. Because Meditation and contemplation of the things that are unseen, the things of heaven, is the way that your faith is fueled. Second, fuel love with hope. What kind of love are we talking about here this morning? Let me give you three characteristics of Christian love. This love is first of all visible. Again, this is something that Paul has heard about, so it must have been something that someone has seen and has reported to him. Right? So it is active, expressive love. It's not sitting back right, and saying, I love those people, but never showing up for those people. In fact, John's going to say it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and following. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, love is not just the expression of words or emotion, but love is the expression of deeds in action. That's what true love is. Howard Marshall, one commentator, said this. He says, The need of the world is not for heroic acts of martyrdom, but for heroic acts of material sacrifice. If I'm a well-off Christian while others are poor, I am acting not as a true believer. I find it fascinating in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, where the author of Hebrews writes these words. In verse 34, he says, To this church that he's writing to, right, like encouraging them based on what he has heard. He says, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You know, what's going on in the book of Hebrews there is the church is experiencing persecution. And so some days. And so the author of Hebrews writes to these believers and he says this he says for you had compassion on those in prison what is he saying he's not saying that you felt pity for those who were in prison on account of their faith he's not saying right that you felt real sorry for those who were in prison on account of their faith you felt real bad right you had a hard time sleeping because there were those who were in prison on account of their faith it's not what he's saying he's not saying any of those things what he's saying is he you have compassion you had compassion on those who were in prison. In other words, you went to see them. You went to be with them. You went to meet their needs. Even though you knew by associating with them that there would be those in official positions within the government who would come and they would ransack your home, plunder your property, and potentially throw you in prison. Yet you still sacrificed those things in order to go and demonstrate love To your brothers and sisters who were imprisoned on account of their faith. And he says, The reason that you did that, the reason you acted in love, is because you knew you had something better, something more abiding, something that would last, something that was eternal. And so you gave yourself away to others in this life with no regard for what it might cost you because you knew you had something better. Isn't that beautiful? It's an expression of love. Listen, let me see if I can make it real plain and practical this morning. Listen, I, and this is going go, to go out to all the peeps, okay? Everyone in the room. Because we all struggle with this. No matter how young you are and no matter how old you are. Let me, let me, let me press on this for just a moment. An expression of love, an expression of compassion that is self sacrificial at times looks like befriending those who are rejected by the rest of society, the rest of the in group. Right? Some of you are like, well, that just happens in high school or in middle school or in elementary school where you got this one dorky kid, right? Like me. I was a dork. All right, some of you are like you still are. <laughs> Amen. I know it. Right? But there's you always got those one or two kids that are loners, isolated. I feel like no one cares for them. And you may be a part of the in-group, right? Whatever that in-group enjoys or does, right? Will you step out of the in-group to go and be inclusive and engage someone who is lonely, isolated, and in need, even though it might cost you your reputation because you've gone to engage them? That's real plain, isn't it? That's real earth-level change and here's why because you know that you have an acceptance that no one can touch you have a future inheritance that is laid up for you in heaven that's how hope fuels love very practical love third no i'm sorry second (laughs) got ahead of myself christian love is all-inclusive It's all inclusive. See, the object of the love love that they had was all the saints. It's All the saints. It was not that Paul heard that the Christians in Colossae loved those in their life groups, right? Or loved those who were their age or loved those who shared their interests or loved those, right? Had compassion on those who talked like them or looked like them or lived at the same standard of economics or those who whatever, fill in the blank. No, Paul was giving thanks because the church at Colossae, he, he'd heard they had a visible love for all the saints. No matter the class, no matter the color, no matter the interest, no matter the hobbies, no matter the family dynamics, no matter, they had a love for all of God's people. And then third, listen, something that's very important to highlight here as well is that this kind of love, it is Unnatural. It is supernatural. In verse 8, Paul says that Epaphras has reported a love between all the saints in Colossae that was in the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit who is bearing, right? Paul says in Ephesians, bearing the fruit of love in his people. Paul says that that's being expressed among you and I'm giving thanks to God for it because the kind of love that is visible and self-sacrificial and all-inclusive, that is not a natural kind of love because by nature we love those who are like us or by nature we love those who will love us in return. By nature we do not love those who are not like us and by nature we do not love those who don't have anything to offer back to us. It's only a love in the Spirit, a supernatural love that's born of this hope that we have all that we need in Christ and we're waiting for this full, unmediated, unfiltered experience of Him that produces that kind of love by the Holy Spirit's work as He sanctifies us. I don't know if anybody's with me this morning, but those two things, those two fruit Are born of hope. There's no other way to bear them in your life. No other way. So I want to close with this as we think about this kind of love, with two extended excerpts, one from a sermon and one from a book. Because perhaps one of the greatest barriers to this kind of love in our lives is an excessive dependence, a disordered love for earthly things. Listen to John Piper in a sermon from 1986 titled The Fruit of Hope, Love. He says, it's not heavenly mindedness that hinders love. It's worldly mindedness that hinders love. Even when it's disguised by a religious routine on the weekend. Where where is the person whose heart is so passionately in love with the promised glory of heaven that he feels like an exile and a sojourner on earth? Where is the person who has so tasted the beauty of the age to come that the diamonds of this world look like trinkets and the entertainment of this world is empty and the moral causes of this world are too small because they have no view to eternity? Where is this person? I found that question ringing in my own heart this week. And the second from Sam Storms, once again, he says, A contemplative focus, in other words, meditating on heaven, frees us from excessive dependence upon earthly wealth and comfort. If there awaits us an eternal inheritance of immeasurable glory, it is senseless to expend effort and energy here, sacrificing all our time and our money to obtain for so brief a time in a corruptible form what we will enjoy forever in our consummate perfection. According to Philippians 3, he says, knowing that our citizenship in heaven enables our soul to escape the grip of earthly things. Peter contends in 1 Peter 1 that the ultimate purpose of the new birth is to experience a heavenly hope, an inheritance that's imperishable, by which he means incorruptible, not subject to decay or rust or mold or dissolution or disintegration. This heavenly inheritance is undefiled or pure, unmixed, untainted by sin or evil. Best of all, it's unfading. Not only will it never end, but it will never diminish in its capacity to enthrall and fascinate and impart joy. It is in heaven for us, kept safe, under guard, protected and insulated against all intrusion or violation. This hope is the grounds for the joy that sustains us in trial and suffering. A few verses later, he exhorts his readers to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you through at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a commanded obsession. Fixate fully, rivet your soul on the grace that you will receive when Jesus returns. Tolerate no distractions, entertain no diversions, do not let your mind be swayed. Devote every ounce of mental and spiritual and emotional energy to concentrating and contemplating on the grace that is to come. If we will do this, our faith will be fruitful our love will be fruitful because our hope tank will be full let's pray together father we thank you so much for the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven for this inheritance that is indeed imperishable incorruptible incorruptible unfading undefiled we thank you for the things that we cannot see. Help us to entertain thoughts of them more than we entertain thoughts of food and drink and houses and cars and vacations. Help us to entertain thoughts. Of our heavenly hope more than we entertain thoughts of schools and education options. Help us to entertain thoughts of heaven more than we entertain thoughts of fitness routines and diets. Help us to entertain thoughts of heaven. More than we entertain thoughts of leisure. And work. And money. So that our faith might be strong, active, and visible in our lives. So that our love might be real and truthful and demonstrate itself in street-level ways. So that the gospel might be bearing fruit among us and to the ends of the earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, You can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.